you know, work with the old tradition of Ayurveda um, that way, or you can kind of browse through the very diverse perspectives and see what sticks for you. creative souls you are listening to never wear boring socks where we talk about the relationship between creativity and wellness i'm maria ramsey and i'm anna barnard and today we have a very special guest that we're very excited for you to meet but before we get into that i was wondering maria what socks are you wearing today i'm wearing a pair of socks that i believe your sister martha gave me several years ago maybe you both gave them to me they're kind of gray and greenish with yellow swirly designs on them and i picked these socks because as we were talking about before we started recording i think we're all kind of feeling a little swirly right now as the school year is beginning and lots of things are changing and schedules and transitions and everything so that's why i'm wearing these socks today they seemed appropriate Nice. What about you, Anna? What socks are you wearing? Well, I'm kind of going along the same vein that you are, because, again, school is also on my mind. I'm moving in to uh, my dorm in four days um, from when we're recording this, and so I am wearing a pair of socks that are knee-high, and they have little worms on them and they're wearing glasses and they are reading books so they're little bookworms and so I thought that was fitting for what I'm about to be doing in a couple days and hopefully I can kind of channel that so I need to get my brain into study mode again excellent (laughs) (laughs) I know not ready and we have a third pair of socks here today with us that are on the feet of Alicia Hunter who's our very special guest today. So Alicia, would you like to tell us about your socks? Absolutely. I am wearing probably my favorite socks. They are teal green, which is one of my favorite colors, and they have corgis all over them. Um, I'm wearing these socks because I love corgis. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good reason. (laughs) I have a bunny and I love dogs, and corgis remind me of bunnies and dogs. (laughs) <laughs> that's cute they're like little yeah. bunnies but they're yeah. puppies <laughs> yeah I like that I like that yeah so these socks make me really happy and um that's why I'm wearing them today that's an excellent reason <laughs> very nice so Alicia would you like to introduce yourself to our audience. Sure. I'm Alicia Hunter. I am a massage therapist and Ayurvedic practitioner. I've also studied craniosacral therapy and um, I perform that in my body treatments as well. I also teach Ashtanga yoga and I'm also studying herbalism. All things that we're very interested in, which is why we're excited to have you on the podcast. Also, we're excited because 
Alicia and I have worked together this past summer on an herb farm, and she's lovely. So we're very happy to have her here today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm really excited, too. I love your podcast. This is really oh, fun. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank I'm glad you, that yeah. you could do this. Mm-hmm. So what made you want to study all of those different things? How did you kind of get interested in holistic health and wellness? Mm-hmm. Well, it started with massage. Um I was kind of searching for what I wanted to do and was working as a CNA at a hospital in the med surge department and um, thought that I was going to become a nurse and decided that physical therapy was really interesting. Um, I really liked how physical therapists were working with patients in that way. And it was, um, it seemed a little bit more encouraging. So massage was something that always stood out to me. I remember going on a trip with my parents on a cruise in high school and I thought I'm going to become a massage therapist and work on a cruise ship. That didn't happen, (laughs) but it was always like, it was always in there. Um, so when I was working as a CNA, I decided to go to school to be a massage therapist. Um, thought that I would work doing that for a while while I get my physical therapy license and ended up just staying with massage for a few years. Um, and I worked in a few different um, places. I worked at a corporation. That was a great experience, first experience. And then I worked in some private practices and then was offered uh, to rent space and have my own practice. Um in clinic in Northampton, Mass. And um, that's really where things started to shift for me. And um, I met Brooksley Williams of Valley Ayurveda, who trained me in Ayurvedic body treatments. And that really opened my mind to this alternative, integrative um, health system. Um, And then from there, you know, things just kind of kept accumulating as I met more practitioners who were local and um, tried other forms of body work. So yeah, that's how I got into it. Very cool. (laughs) So Anna and I have talked a little bit about Ayurveda Mm -hmm. before. Not very much because neither of us has much experience with it, but we're both really interested in it. Mm -hmm. So would you like to maybe tell us a little bit about what maybe what your definition of Ayurveda is or what benefits do you see? Yeah. So Ayurveda is a Sanskrit word for the science of life. So I always come back to that, the science of life. What does that mean? Um, Instead of like holding on to, well, Ayurveda is, you know, this ancient healthcare system that originated in India. It's like, it's bigger than that. India held on to it and is um, really spreading it through the world, re-spreading it through the world right now. But it means the science of life. So what, like, what is science? Um, it's the study of. Um, so when we think about that, it's observing and noticing patterns and being able to recognize and determine outcomes from different you know, chains of events. And then with that understanding, we can start to play with that and tweak situations to get more predicted outcomes. Um, So 
what is life? <laughs> good question. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> right. Well, from what we see it as, you know, it's our daily habits. It's what we do all day. It's what we eat. It's what we choose to do with our bodies, with our minds, our social, social interactions. It's all of that. Um, so it's not just symptoms, you know, um, it's, it's the bigger picture, which is what really gets me excited. Um, Ayurveda really works with bringing things into balance. So you hear a lot right now about the doshas. That's like the hot term. You can take like your a quiz and get your your dosha. I think Anna and I have both done that. Yeah, yeah which is really about fun. as far as my but, knowledge you know, base goes. Yeah, yeah, it's a great start, you know. And then you can start to see well, what foods are more uh, vata aggravating or pacifying, yada mm-hmm. yada, or pitta or kapha. Um, and so, so that's a great premise to work, like an introduction. But it goes so much deeper than that. You know, studying Ayurveda for almost 10 years, it's like the dosha quiz, you know, you you move past that pretty quickly (laughs) because Mm -hmm. life is just way too complicated. So it's really having awareness of what we're doing and then how it affects us and then making changes when we don't like the outcome. I really think that thinking about the elements within the doshas is really important. Um, you know, vata is space and air. So to think about that, you know, if there's a vata excess, it's usually someone who's maybe spacey or moves a lot or has some like indigestion, um, or is very anxious. Uh, pitta is fire and water. So it's like, like very fiery, you know, very sharp too, but that moving that, um, quick transformation. Uh, so we can look at things that way. You know, if you see something that's a little fiery, that that's like a pitta aggravation or pitta excess. And then kapha is water and earth. So, um, I always think about the seasons with kapha, like springtime when the snow's melting in New England um, and like it's kind of muddy. That's that's kapha time. Um, so so thinking about the doshas in terms of their elements, you can kind of just pick up on the qualities of things, the qualities of foods, the qualities of interactions. Um, and see, you know, did, did that feel balanced or did that feel like there was an excess? And then what can we do about it? So that's really how I view Ayurveda. I think about it in the back of my mind all the time, just as how can I bring this a little bit more into balance? I like that idea of balance. And I, I really like the focus of Ayurveda being on qualities. I think we talked about that a little bit this summer. That's one of the reasons that Ayurveda appeals to me is because like food, for example, you're not just thinking about which food has protein or vitamin C. Mm. It's like which foods might be warming if I'm feeling Mm -hmm. like cool and airy or which foods might be cooling if I'm feeling fiery. Absolutely. That's an awesome, perfect example. Yeah. It's like we think about like calories or, or protein and fat. So it's like, well, 
there's more to it than that. You know, you could eat something that has a lot of protein if you're feeling like vata deranged and it might actually clog up your digestion if you're eating like a chicken Caesar salad versus eating like a hearty stew. That's going to pacify that that cold um like anxiety a lot better. That's yeah. interesting. And I feel like what's uh, kind of I th- I think what's positive about that in regards to some other attitudes we have when we're looking at food is that it's using food not just to fill us up or sustain us but to heal us in a way mm-hmm. which I think mm-hmm. sometimes we forget about the power mm-hmm. of food to heal us we always oh, yeah. kind mm-hmm. of have like this tug of war with it so I think I think that's really neat and I also think that Ayurveda from what you've described kind of lends itself to um like getting to know ourselves better and having intuition which is something that Maria and I have talked about a lot on the mm-hmm. podcast yeah. um which with the idea of am I feeling like more fiery or more spacey I feel like that's something that like you have to decide for yourself and think about mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting and probably promotes more mindfulness than some other practices when we're Absolutely. we're approaching food or whatever yeah. other things in our life that's going on mm-hmm. yeah it's it's this con- continuous evolution and how do we you know stay focused with it and how do we continue to have more and more presence with it right yeah definitely and your balance of doshas as i understand can change over time too mm-hmm. so it's not like I'm this body type, so I must always eat this way. It's like paying attention to how things are changing, too, which I think sometimes we forget to do because we get stuck in one thing that's working for a while. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. And, and you know, as we grow, we go through different um, dosha predominant stages in our life. You know, when we're babies, when we're young children, we're in kapha. We're we're big and we're, you know, we should be really meaty and we're growing. We need all of that substance then. And then when we get into like our teens and early, uh, like early adulthood, we're in pitta. We're active. We're going to school. We're working. We're creating. So that's our pitta stage. Um, and then when we're, we get older, things start to slow down, we get a little bit more brittle, that's our vata stage. So it's those doshas are all around us, even throughout each day, which is really interesting. There's times of day that are more vata quality, times of day that are more pitta quality, like lunchtime. Ayurveda says that lunch should be your biggest meal of the day because that's when the fires are the most stoked. You know, it's the middle of your day. You're very active. That's when your body's ready to take in a good, like hearty meal and break it down versus really early or later in the day. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We've been talking about like cyclical things and seasonality in our lives, which I think is an important topic. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you pointed out that idea that the doshas aren't necessarily just like, I am this combination of doshas, but that it rotates so much and can be found in everything. Because I remember when I took an online quiz with my doshas, I was like, well, this kind of fits me. It's kind of interesting, but I found it kind of inaccessible because it seemed very much 
uh, it seemed kind of inflexible without me having to do more research on it. And so I think viewing the doshas in the way that you described is uh, uh, more approachable, I guess, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And I think that's another really interesting way to kind of tune into what our body needs just like throughout the day even. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Um, and to also, yeah, I, I see it a lot of like what you said, just like that being able to tune in to what the body needs versus saying, Oh, I am this because it is changing all the time. And it's a good place to, it's a good ref, point of reference if you've, you're like, I'm so out of balance and I don't know what's going on. But um, to have that, you know, forgiveness and knowing that nothing's perfect and that you're going to continuously be throwing yourself out of balance and just, yeah, what, what do you need? What are you feeling right now? And having some tools to just bring yourself back into balance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you want to give like a quick definition of doshas mm-hmm. while we're on the topic in case anyone doesn't know? Sure. Yeah, so so the doshas is an accumulation of um it's an accumulation of elements. So so like I said earlier, um there's vata, pitta and kapha. Those are the ayurvedic doshas that we work with and so vata is an um is the accumulation of space and ether. So it's like, if you think about the wind, it's, it's just like very like airy and changeable. Um, Vata resides in the body in like space cavities. So like within the colon, um, in the lungs. Um, Pitta is an accumulation of the element of fire and water. So if you think about like like hot oil, that's what I always think about, like quick and moving and sharp and it burns. So pitta in our body resides in our um, like our solar plexus chakra, our digestion, it's transformation. Um, and then kapha is an accumulation of uh, water, water and earth. So um, kapha is very like heavy substance kapha is in our skin it's in our bones it's our density um it's stability and so we each have like some of each dosha right we just have different amounts of each one absolutely absolutely yep we all have all three doshas we couldn't exist without them right all. <laughs> that's why they're also all around us they're in all of our food they're in the time of day they're in the seasons um so yeah so so like the kapha is like our substance it's like what like builds our bones um and then the the pitta is what is our digestion um on on different levels and then the vata is like what pushes things through, like pushes through the channels, pushes through the elimination. Interesting. Clear? Yeah, okay. yeah, it does. I was going to ask you something and then I forgot what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some ways that you apply your knowledge of Ayurveda in your daily life? Mm-hmm. So I think about Ayurveda with a lot of compassion. <laughs> I, I tend to be a perfectionist. So when I first learned about Ayurveda, I'm like, oh my God, like 
I am Vata Kapha, so everything has to line up with this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have to eat perfect food, perfectly balanced food, and this and that. And we have to stick to the perfect Dinacharya, which is the daily schedule, daily routines, which start with like cleansing routines. And, um, and I was like, whoa, I'm actually like way out of balance. I have this like autoimmune disease, like nothing's working. (laughs) Like I feel like better, but there's still a lot that's wrong. So, um, it took me a little while to, and a lot of studying and, you know, listening to a lot of teachers and their perspectives on Ayurveda to come to this place of, whoa, like Ayurveda is continuously evolving. It has withstood thousands and thousands of years and it's still effective and so what is it really about especially in today's day and age when everything is hard and fast-paced and fiery is about compassion and having presence so you know um being a single mom also i don't have a lot of time to stick to a, a consistent dinacharya and my schedule's changing a lot. So how do I fit Ayurveda in when I feel like I'm not doing Ayurveda? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so so when I go through my day, I try to just have as much mindfulness as possible and compassion. Um, and so it's even down to the small, small things like driving to school and breathing, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, instead of listening to like some like heavy metal music or something, it's like, okay, (laughs) like this is actually what I need right now. Um, and having as much mindfulness with my daughter as possible as she's going through her changes. Um, I like to, when it comes to food, really not worry about what I'm eating, but to take whatever it is and bring a little bit of balance into it. So spices are so awesome. Uh, Spices and herbs, they're very, very, very potent. And you can really change the quality of your food with spices and herbs. So if, you know, my family wants to have pizza, I'll have pizza, but I'll put like some pepper and maybe even like a churna mix, which is a spice mixture of, um, I usually have like turmeric, ginger, um, uh, hing and, uh, fennel in it. So I'll put some of that and then some herbs like basil and parsley on my pizza. So it's so small and it seems like, well, what is that doing to this greasy, cheesy, you know, glutinous slice of pizza? But it's changing the quality when I ingest it so that I can assimilate it better. Um, so, so it's these small little like tips throughout the day that I like to apply. Um, that's that's really where Ayurveda is for me. And so when I'm working with other people, you know, it depends on where they are. Some people are very much like I want to correct this acne and this is what my diet is and that's how I can work with it. So we'll work with the diet and then I'll try to also ask them to see how they can, you know, maybe change up some of their daily routines and get some better sleep. Um But it always comes back to like, well, this is where we are and have compassion for the situation. And then what is like the smallest, most effective thing that you can do? Um, And that's usually where the best results come. That's really, I really like that perspective. 
Do you have any suggestions for anyone who is wanting to implement Ayurveda into their own life? Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you can find a local practitioner. That's a good way. Um, but if you have some time to check out some websites and some blogs, there's a lot out there right now on Ayurveda. Yeah. And with that, there's a lot of different perspectives. You know, you can pick up a cookbook from the library that's, you know, from Visant Laud, who's a wonderful Ayurvedic teacher. And it's very specific. And every meal will have, you know, how much it it affects vata with like plus or minus signs, like one or two of them also with pitta and kapha. So you can go like very specific and like really, um, you know, work with the old tradition of Ayurveda, um, that way, or you can kind of browse through the very diverse perspectives and see what sticks for you. Um, I do like to teach people about um, an abhyanga, which is a daily self-massage, which for me was very profound. It was one of the first recommendations that someone um, told me about. And um, though I don't do it every day right now, I still, you know, have it in my routine and it's really, really helpful. And it's something that everyone can do. It's relaxing and um, it can give you a little taste like oh this this felt good I liked this and I feel like it um you know gave me more energy or helped me to sleep more um so I would so that's what I would recommend is to you know do some research but you know also um you can talk to someone and see what what they would recommend for you personally too so maybe like try to tackle it both ways if you can um, would be fun. It would give you a little bit more specific direction. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's helpful. I I just really like your whole focus on not trying to make things perfect. It's like yeah. so much less dogmatic than it could be. Because I do feel like that. I've read and skimmed a few different books on Ayurveda. And some of them make you feel like you're doing life all wrong. <laughs> Definitely. Right. Like, yeah, I should be getting up at five in the morning. And then... Doing an hour of yoga. Right. And then two hours of cleansing routine. Right. Right. And it's like, when do you have time to live the rest of your life? Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I realized. You know, I was really good with, like, yoga for a while and doing, like, some cleansing stuff and meditation. And, like, well, I'm exhausted by the time I get to right. other things. Yeah. So I don't think this is working. Right. So, yeah, it goes, like, I know what you're saying. I went through that place of, like, oh, like, guilt, you know? I'm doing this all wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not accepted into the Ayurvedic <laughs> realm. <laughs> right. And then someone said to me, they're like, you know, Ayurveda is just bringing consciousness in and having compassion. And what is, like, what is the purpose of life without compassion? Um, and I'm like, oh, you know, that, that really clicked for me. It's like, how do we just, like, weave it in? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And I like the idea of just adding a little bit of some spices too to kind of yeah. change the qualities of what you're eating without completely giving up <laughs> certain Definitely. things if you don't really need to. Because mm-hmm. then it just it gets a little it's a slippery slope if you feel like you need to completely avoid certain things or only only eat certain things every day. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. And I went through a phase where, you know, I didn't feel satisfied with food that I ate. So it was like, oh, well, I'm eating a brownie. I might as well eat the whole pan of brownies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, whoa, (laughs) that's so extreme. Yeah. You know, and so just doing a little bit, you know, like putting some cinnamon on a brownie and maybe a little bit of peanut butter and completely, for me, really helped me to kind of be like, okay, I'm, I'm still doing good here. I can enjoy this delicious treat and I'm actually doing something good for my body as well, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of us are conditioned to think, you know, that it's bad, bad, bad. So, right. And I don't think it necessarily is. I think being calm and happier and less stressed about what you're eating is sometimes more important than actually what you are eating. Absolutely. Someone else had said, another Ayurvedic practitioner, that you're better off eating a McDonald's hamburger with complete mindfulness than the most balanced, perfect Ayurvedic meal rushed Mm. (laughs) and in a bad frame of mind. Yeah, yeah. That was a big one for me. I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> huh, okay. I've heard... <laughs> There's something to this mindfulness. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think there is. And I can relate to that, too, because I... Just for example, this week, I feel like my digestion has been feeling kind of off. And in thinking about why that might be, I'm thinking I've been really busy and stressed all week. I've been eating quickly. I've mm. been not really present while I'm eating. That could definitely be part of why, mm-hmm. <laughs> or entirely <Yeah>. why. <laughs> could also be the excessive heat, too. Could be that, too. There's a lot of really humid, hot days, and that can yeah. spread digestion as well. And I think I tend to be someone with more pitta energy, mm. so that's definitely possible. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, I would say really quickly, like, you know, if you can slow down and chew a little bit, mm-hmm. like, longer, that will be good. But also, you know, what kind of, um, like, cooling foods, cooling herbs, you know, can mm-hmm. you include in your foods? You know, just putting, like, some oregano and basil and cilantro can make a big difference. Um, drinking, like, fruit juices or aloe vera juice can also really help just cool things down help things go a little smoother. Yeah. Well, thank you for those tips. Definitely. I'll have to try them. (laughs) (laughs) So did Ayurveda, your interest in Ayurveda help spark your interest in herbalism too? Because I know that's something you've been studying Mm. recently. Definitely. Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, it was kind of like massage. I was really into massage. And then Ayurveda. And with Ayurveda, um, every body treatment has um medicated oil or um herbal medicine included in the treatment so that's when i started to really learn about um the properties of these herbs but they were all most of them powdered herbs they weren't fresh that i was using or they were already infused into the oil um So I was kind of like, oh, like, this is kind of fun. Like, these all look different. They smell different. And this is what this is used for. And this, like, is cooling or heating. That's really interesting. Um, And then, you know, living in Northampton, I think we're so lucky that there are so many beautiful farms and herbalists in this area. So I started to branch out and explore 
um, what was in the area. And I, Acadia Herbals is one of my favorite places to go. That's where I first started going. I think I'm going to go there this afternoon. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, I love going there. I always feel better afterwards. Yeah. And um, yeah, they have such a great selection of herbs, um, single herbs, and then also like tea blends. And so I started to kind of play around with what was there. And I have a good friend who is an herbalist who uh, we would go on plant walks together. So it was a slow process. And um, that led me to an herbal apprenticeship class and then an internship this past summer. Um, So yeah, I just have a very strong connection with the plants in our area. I love that we can go for a walk and um, be able to identify medicine that's growing um, and harvest it for free and utilize it. Um, it's been really, really fun for me to explore that and to also see the effects of it. So yeah, I would definitely say that Ayurveda introduced me into herbalism. Cool. I've also been really excited recently and just realizing how many medicinal plants are growing everywhere you walk, at least here, probably in a lot of other places also. Mm -hmm. But like when I was at this permaculture training that I was doing this spring, there were a few herbalists in the group and we were just walking past this patch of it looked like just random plants and weeds. And they were like, oh, that's plantain. This is violet. This mm-hmm. is, I don't even remember what else, mm-hmm. but you can use them for all these cool things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, like, I'm pretty sure some of those are growing in my yard right mm-hmm. now. And I didn't even know they were there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a yeah. purslane that grows as a weed mm-hmm. in next to my driveway. Oh, and wow. sometimes I just go eat it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it's just like it opens up this door to this connection that we have with our outdoors, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it's really important mm-hmm. because a lot of people, especially now, you know, ticks, see, ticks are like very scary, you know, you don't want to be outside and have a tick bite you and bugs, you know, they carry different things. And so it's it's, it's it could be very icky to be outside sometimes mm-hmm. and you know to so to to acknowledge that and then to be able to open our eyes to what's growing and to be able to um identify plants and know this is safe to eat you know like purslane mm-hmm. as a salad right. green um is pretty fun and it really is exciting i think um yeah and then you know kids can start to explore that and make tea with like raspberry leaves that they find and yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty fun. Yeah, and I think what's cool about that is well, my my mom is an integrated medicine doctor mm, and she yeah. has this book from um Dr. Tarone Lodog on um like at-home herbal remedies that you can just make yourself. And I was like looking through some of the recipes and I was like this is so cool, but it seemed really inaccessible to me at the time cuz mm. I was like where am I going to find Frank John, like St. John's wort or whatever, and all (laughs) these things. Um, But the thing is, it's interesting that you point out that there are so many things just growing outdoors Mm -hmm. that we can find. I think they're much more accessible than we think they are. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I did an an apprenticeship class last summer and it was amazing. We met at different farms in the area and then we spent all day learning about three different plants and we sat with them and harvested them and made some sort of medicine and it was always different and I left very excited I'm like oh I just want to keep doing this 
but I didn't have access to those farms. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I know that there's like, you know, uh, chickweed and I would really like to work with that and eat it as a salad green, but I don't know where it is. Um, and then going into this season, I was like looking for nettles. I'm like, I want, you know, to work with nettles and I just can't find them anywhere. And then, um, we were so lucky, Marie and I, to work at Sawmill where we were cultivating these amazing plants. So they were very abundant to us. (laughs) And I don't know, something kind of clicked this year where places that I've been walking or something, I'm seeing more and more plants that I'm familiar with. So, um, I think that, you know, it kind of just kind of opens up to you, um, as time goes by to see when you start to like recognize different plants like Queen Anne's lace and, uh, violets, um, you know, sometimes they're just like not in sight and then sometimes they are, but you have Mm -hmm. to kind of invest in going out there and looking. Yeah. (laughs) But I've right. been surprised, you know, in, in pretty common walking spaces, what I'm finding, whereas before they were all just like weeds growing in my mind. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. I've been more aware of that yeah. this year, too. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I kind of have an example of that recently from my own life because we were at our cabin up in, in northern Minnesota um, a couple weeks ago and my mom found this wildflower there that she'd never seen before and she was super excited about it and she thought it was like this super rare wildflower and then we got home and realized there were like tons of them just by our house that we've never noticed before Uh and I mean part of it is just like taking notice of your surroundings and getting Mm. more comfortable with what's near you yeah I just thought that was Mm. super ironic and so funny Mm. that's really cool Someone had said, a herbalist had said to me a while ago that plants that, like, if you live in the same space for, like, three years or longer, that, like, the earth kind of, this is very Ayurvedic to me, the earth kind of recognizes the qualities in you and then what you need to become more balanced and those plants will grow. That's a fascinating idea. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And, you know, like my parents have like high cholesterol and high blood pressure and I don't think they have the best diet. It's very meat based. And they always have a lot of dandelions in their yard. Mm, <laughs> my dad, it's like my dad's enemy. You know? So, and like there have been other examples that I'm like, oh, you know, that's, this is really interesting that this is growing here um, sp- specifically. So, huh. You know, it's like, well, you know, if you're in a space for a long time and you start to look around, you you know, you might be surprised at what you see. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. So you also do craniosacral. Mm -hmm. Is it craniosacral therapy? Is that the right term or what do you? Yeah, craniosacral therapy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I've heard a little bit about that, but I don't really know very much about it. Mm -hmm. Could you explain what that is? Mm So craniosacral therapy is working with the system in our body that involves our cranium, so our head, and our spinal cord. So, um, so if you think about your cranium and your sacrum, so it's, it's between there, craniosacral. So it's our nervous system. Um, within that, we have um, the craniosacral um, 
Dura Mater, which is, uh, hold on, my brain is trying to connect the dots a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have cerebrospinal fluid that encompasses the brain and then travels down the spinal cord. And the cerebrospinal fluid is basically fluid that is just full of nutrition um, but it's also exchanging waste so the cerebral spinal fluid is a it's like a pump it continuously uh, fills up and expands and then contracts so when it contracts it goes into the brain it goes into the nervous system and travels down through the nerves so the craniosacral therapy works with the entire body um, And specifically with the fascia, um, by way of the nervous system. So a lot of people think that it's working with the head, and it is, but it's more than just that, too. Um, When I work as a craniosacral therapist, um, and I have a client on the table, they're usually fully dressed, so it's not the same as massage. And the way that I work is very 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 light touch so it's not um it's not like digging and getting in there it's very light resting on the body sensing the craniosacral rhythm and where there is any like tension and restrictions in the body um so so that's what craniosacral is um and what else do i want to say about it it is a it's a therapy that works more with emotions and restrictions than gross like muscle work um there are studies going on right now with the Upledger Institute where they're working with football players in the NFL who have had like major concussions and seeing what craniosacral therapy does for them. And it's really, really interesting because it's freeing up deeply held patterns from injuries that they've incurred. And it's actually like reversing a lot of chronic symptoms that they're having. So it's, it's pretty interesting. It's kind of cutting edge. Um, craniosacral therapy has been around since the 80s, I believe. Um, so there's a lot of research going on with it right now. That sounds really cool. Yeah. I haven't heard it explained in that way before. Okay. I hope it's not too long winded. (laughs) No, no, I really, I like that explanation. So how does your understanding of craniosacral or like all these different modalities that you work with, how do you see those connecting or overlapping? Mm. Well, You know, I think about Ayurveda as being, you know, the science of life. So it's everything and it's always working to bring more balance into whatever the situation is. So craniosacral therapy was really interesting for me because when I first had um, craniosacral therapy done, I was like a six week weekly sessions. And at the end, I felt like my life was completely different. Like my, my perspective on things was very different. Um, I just felt like I was moving in my life differently than I was before. Um, and the way that the work is performed, 
it's very comforting. It can be hard, but it feels more natural than than like deep tissue massage, you know, like I love my massage practice also, and I love performing massage therapy, but you know, sometimes people come in with the perspective, with the idea that they need really, really deep work. And, um, and it just sometimes feels like it's, it's going in the opposite direction of harmony and balance and wellness for, for both them and myself. So craniosacral therapy kind of fits in that Ayurvedic umbrella a little bit more where, you know, we can do this like very light, gentle work and allow the nervous system to go into a very, very, very deep, restful space and just assist the body in finding its own natural rhythm and balance instead of forcing it and telling it and making it do what we think it needs. Um, so that's what I really appreciate about craniosacral therapy is it's very much about like inquiring, which is what Ayurveda is also, instead of I have the tools and I know what I'm going to do. It's more of like, well, you're a new person on the table and, you know, how can I support you through this process? Um, so that's how those fit. And with massage, I like to try to use a massage oil that you know is a little bit more balancing for the client and then also try to approach the massage in a way that is a little bit more balancing too you know if they're coming in with a lot of vata how can i pacify them they're coming in with a lot of kapha how can i motivate them you know Mm -hmm. and then with a lot of pitta like how can i cool them down um and then herbalism, you know, I I love herbalism with Ayurveda, especially being able to use local herbs. Because again, you know, Ayurveda comes from India, but it's the science of our life too. So what works for people in India isn't always going to work for us in the United States. Um, so being able to use local herbs and to recognize the qualities of them, you know, like is this a spicy herb? Is this a cooling herb? Um, is this herb heavy, sour, sweet, you know, and then kind of look at it that way. Um, and then utilize it in a, to bring balance in. And then, you know, also if it's local to you, it has more life force versus it being dried and shipped from across Mm -hmm. the world. So I really like all all the things that you're saying. I feel like it's very in line with our whole never wear boring socks <laughs> philosophy yeah. and kind of our focus on creativity and wellness and the intersection between the two, because this feels like a very creative approach mm-hmm. to wellness to me, mm, like definitely. about what you're talking about, asking questions as opposed to just saying, I have the answers mm-hmm. to this thing. I think that's that's kind of the key thing about creativity is that you're inquiring and open to new ideas Mm -hmm. yeah i like that a lot absolutely yeah do you find that it allows you to be more creative in your own life alicia oh definitely definitely i i yeah i was listening to some of your other podcasts i'm like oh yes like (laughs) you know like like how do you how do you how do you 
how do you live a complicated life and a healthy life without being creative? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, because there's not one size fits all in healthcare and wellness. So, you know, how can you imagine and, you know, have fun with it? And I think that that's a big part of what creativity is. For sure. Yeah, I agree. I obviously you've done a lot of or have a lot of experience in these holistic practices. Um, and we talked a little bit about kind of fitting that into our busy, fast paced lives now. Um, but I guess what kind of is your opinion or experience with more integrative health and combining Western medical practices with the practices that you're so familiar with? Yeah, I think it's awesome. Um, I think that, you know, there's a place for all of it. Um, I, you know, there's a little point in my life where I'm like, I'm never going to have antibiotics again. And, you know, they are like the worst thing in the world. But it's like, yeah, you know, there's definitely a place for it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I think that there's not enough edu- like good education. <laughs> There's a lot of opinions. Um, but you know, to be able to have empowerment over your health, I think is so important. So I think integrative medicine right now is really exciting that it's like getting out there, you know, more people, more and more people are talking about Ayurveda and, you know, other kinds of health practices. And I'm hearing like functional medicine in the traditional Western medicine. And, um, and it's, it's really, really interesting and exciting to know that more and more doctors are starting to take this on, um, and trying to see the whole patient. And it's tough because I know there's not a lot of time for doctors to sit with patients and hear about everything that's going on in their lives and how it could be affecting their health. Um, but 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 it's happening you know there is this like shift that's happening i think about western medicine being really 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 great at like emergency situations you know like if you have a bad ear infection if you need like if you really need surgery you know if there's like a, an accident it knows what to do and that's awesome i do think that like things like antibiotics are overprescribed but i think that that's be- i hope that's becoming less Um, I am hearing about doctors, you know, like sending kids home with a strep throat saying, you know, that it's going to get better. Um, so, and then it kind of gives the parent the, um, the decision to make, which I think is really empowering. Whereas I feel like I grew up, whereas like the doctor was God, they do, they tell you what to do and they have Mm -hmm. the answers, you know? And like, for me, I was, you know, when I was 10, I had a year of, ear infections and was prescribed antibiotics 12 Mm. times yep i had a similar experience (laughs) what did that do to my gut (laughs) and my parents just didn't even blink an eye you know so um you know the integrative health is really really powerful i think it's re-educating people to look at well what am i really doing what are my routines what is like the basis of my diet how much sleep am I getting? You know, things like that, that are so foundational and so basic and, um, 
and really make a big impact. And that's kind of where we've like lost it, I think, you know, is like there's so many food options and everyone wants to stay up really late and watch TV and, <laughs> you know, so, so it's kind of like this retraining and um, reining things back, which I think is awesome. So, um, yeah. Yeah, thank you. So we're nearing the end of our episode. Before we wrapped up, do you have any recommendations for anything you've been enjoying or learning about or interested in recently? It could be wellness related or creativity related or something entirely different. Mm -hmm. Well, I've actually been watching these videos lately of this therapy called group therapy. And I'm kind of really fascinated by it. Um, it's this radical aliveness therapy and um, someone recommended it. And it's just pretty amazing. I really am interested in, um, in therapy and this dynamic of group therapy allows for people to bring up emotions that are so hidden and to process it. And it's kind of really radical what people are doing and amazing. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've been like hooked on that, watching that every night a little too late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's just like, what does this mean? There's something very true to it. And, um, and it's, it's very fascinating. It's, it's what's, what I'm into right now. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have like the name of the person? Yeah, it's Anne. Um, I can get it. To yeah, you. you can send it to me later. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I think it's called Docu Series um, Group Therapy, and it's this radical aliveness. But I'll okay. get the specifics to you. Cool. Mm -hmm. And then. One of the other questions we like to ask our guests is about the name Never Wear Boring Socks and kind of our philosophy behind the name. So what Never Wear Boring Socks means to us is that we can make small changes in our everyday lives to make our lives more creative and to make ourselves happier and doesn't have to be these giant changes and if you might as well wear fun socks if you're gonna wear socks anyway why not does that philosophy resonate with you at all oh totally totally <laughs> i love socks anyways i was like Excellent. you know like wearing like mismatch socks when i was younger because i'm like this is cool i can do this and get away with it yeah <laughs> um yeah and you know like so I've always been interested in socks and how comfortable they are. I love socks and I love the philosophy of like, it's the small things, you know, it's mm -hmm. the small things and to have some gratitude and to be able to make those choices. Um, that's definitely in alignment with how I feel about life. Yeah. It's cool. Love I it. love that you're so into socks. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I guess because <laughs> I've only known you this summer, so we're not really wearing socks very much. <laughs> as soon as it gets yeah. cold, I have my thick wool socks. I love yeah. those. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. And our last question is if anyone in our audience would like to get in touch with you, do you have a website or any any place they can find you yeah definitely um my website is huntergreenhealing.com 
and my email address is alishahunterwellness.com. Um, and yeah, I would love to hear from some of your listeners. That'd be fun. Thank Very you. cool. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you yeah, so much. Thank you, really Alicia. Fun. Thanks, Anna. That is our episode for this week. Thank you to all of our creative souls for listening. And we also want to thank Ben Ramsey, the cheese beast, for taking care of our audio editing and helping with our music. And also to Martha Barnard for her melodious mandolin interludes. And a huge thank you to Alicia Hunter for joining us today. You can find show notes for this episode at mariacatherine.com slash podcast slash 040. And Catherine is spelled K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E. And if you're enjoying Never Wear Boring Socks, we would love if you subscribed and left us a review in your favorite podcast app. We will be back next week with an episode on how creativity can be a force for positive change. But until then, remember to never wear boring socks.